Welcome to Cafecito with Rosie on air, where you'll get to know local professionals, entrepreneurs, movers, and shakers, and how they're helping their community. Hear exclusive interviews from thriving individuals, get inspired, and learn from them. And now, your host, author, speaker, commissioner, Medicare broker, business owner, published author, and business trailblazer, Rosie Paulson. Welcome to another show of Cafecito with Rosie on air. Continuing with our quarterly theme for 2022 being purpose. This is the second week of February and we are going to be focusing this month of acknowledging your fear and face it. When money is not an issue, it's easier for you to be able to face those fears when it comes to entrepreneur and being an, an entrepreneur uh, journey. Today, I am honored, honored, honored to introduce to you a really good friend of mine. Debbie and I have been friends. Oh, I cannot even tell you. But let me tell you that she has been, she has combined her 14 years of automotive leadership experience and facilitate and running simultaneously for 11 of those years on her expertise of schooling to embark on business endeavors for passionately and purposely enhancing communications, behaviors, and relationships. Emotional intelligence, let me repeat that, emotional intelligence, leadership, and kindness through the following four offerings of her job. Keynotes and talks, a strategy and facilitation, and team and training and coaching and consulting. See, Debbie helped me when I was part of Solita's house. We were working on our theme for the whole year, and, and she came into the room, owned the room, helped us as a team to come together as one, develop what we were going to work on and had a strategy that we were able to implement that year. And, and at that time, Solita's house became very, very successful in what we wanted to do. So without further ado, let me tell, welcome to Debbie. Hi, Debbie. How are you today this morning? How are you doing well, this morning? Hello, Rosie. It's a great day to have another fun, enjoyable, productive day. So thank you for including me in it. No problem. Thank you. So this is the time where we're going to kind of talk about Debbie, who you are, what's your story, and, uh, you know, the person, Debbie, the person. Yes. Yes. Well, who I am and who the story is does meld into a lot of what I get to do, because as you know, with that purpose and that passion, we bring it to our work. And a lot of people know me as one-fourth of Team Lundberg. My husband, Michael, and I have our two rescue labs, and we certainly love the Tampa Bay community and appreciate all there is to, to do. So who I am on that side is I like to tell people, you know, think of me as a bit of an energizer bunny coming in with this beat of having having a, a lot to do and moving moving through the fun and the joys and the challenges of life. So we're golfing, we're engaging in the community, uh, we're living kidney donors, and so much more. So that's a little bit about us, and, and specifically about me. 
Yes, and I, you, one thing about Tampa, if people don't understand about Tampa, it's really about how you give back to our community. I always tell people that Tampa is still a big city feel with a small town charm. So here it is, we all get to know each other. We all love on each other. We all support each other. But at the same time, we also know what you're doing and what you're not doing. <laughs> <laughs> because we love our community so much that we want to make sure it's enhanced and we hold everybody accountable for that. Um, so I've seen you work and get involved in so many projects, but projects that make an impact. So how did that start? How did that ever come about for you to become such a great icon in our community? Oh, you're very kind to say that, Rosie. Thank you so much. And and I appreciate the question because it's no slight at all on how I was raised. But interestingly enough, I wasn't really raised to be tremendously involved in the community or charitable. And that's that's not to say that that I wasn't exposed to some things, but I really learned it about the age of 19. I realized that people tended to do things for me because they didn't want to get on my bad side instead of really wanting to engage. And I made a conscious effort to change. Now you can't change how you, your, your DNA, but you can certainly change how you present and how you engage with other people. And I learned so much through reading and asking questions and even professors in school to, to develop that in that desire. And it's really interesting because I love what you said about Tampa. I call it a big, small town. And I tell people, if you come to Tampa, you will be welcomed. And if you say you're going to do something, do it and then keep doing it because we will embrace you. And that's how I feel. I'm not from here. I lived here once before and coming here. And then shortly after starting a business, I couldn't be more appreciative. So it became very much a, a, a a give back to this community that has that has embraced me and it started with volunteering talks because people would ask and then being involved in the chambers and being involved with the American Heart Association the Miss Tampa organization McDill Air Force Base and and I feel like each time I get asked if there's something I can truly contribute that will make a difference then I want to and personally, you helped the Florida Commission on the Status of Women when we came to Tampa, Florida. Yes. And did the whole, it was the uh, first time that the LEAD Summit was held in Tampa, Florida, and you were able to facilitate that. And that's one of my biggest accomplishments because I am able to be a voice at the state level to let people know the amazing, amazing professionals we have in an area and when I send your bio to the committee it's like wow where did you find this lady it's like she's my friend she's my friend <laughs> well thank you and and through the the grace and generosity and the willingness to collaborate with people like you and and up to fortune 100 companies I mean and, and in between I don't take it for granted and I appreciate being asked and being included because it's 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 really a, a joy for me to see people connect that way. And then I'm consistently learning through the dynamics of of the people who are there or not there or what is said and done. So it, it, it 
in each opportunity, there is, there is growth and learning on both sides. Perfect. And now I see here that your automotive leadership. So, you mm -hmm. know, as a woman in a very male dominated world, although a uh, world, which although we changing a lot too, but tell me a little bit more about that experience. Well, Rosie, it was, it was a while ago. And at the same time, not that far back in our history where General Motors did not have women in the field calling on dealerships. And while I had been an intern while I was at the University of Michigan with General Motors and, and gotten to do some really interesting work, I was approached about going out in the field and I am a little bit embarrassed to tell you that what I said was, well, what do they do all day? Because these dealers have to buy from us, right? And I was very wrong and I own that. And so I, I became interested and spoke with a few people and went out in the field and believe it or not, I was, I was sent from Michigan down to Southwest Louisiana. Wow. Well. And I will tell you, I was naive enough to not realize it was set up really probably to fail because it was, mm -hmm. they had, I was the 14th female. There were 213 people out in the field for the division I was with, but I just had a ball. I mean, I went there and people were open. They'd never had a female. And, and of course, as I, as I love life, sometimes I'm a little bit, uh, the, the, curiosity gets the best of me. And so I was all about the learning. And I, I know some people might have felt a bit overwhelmed. At the same time, there were really uh, kind, caring leaders who said, hey, I'll take you under my wing at dealership level. And from there, I went from Louisiana to Texas, to Wisconsin, to Florida one time, to Michigan and, and, and Illinois, and then back. So I went from that in the field to regional, to national roles. And it was just something I didn't think couldn't be done. And therefore I went ahead and did it right. and, and um, you know, made some missteps along the way, certainly learned a lot and then was able to, I didn't dislike it. I think sometimes people hear of somebody with their own business or an mm -hmm. entrepreneur and they say, oh, you got out of that corporate side. You must, you know, you're free now. I really enjoyed it. I I liked it. I liked the structure. I met some wonderful people and I love what I do now. So I, I do like to say that, that not everybody dislikes it just because they leave. Right. And see, this is so funny because um, you've mentioned something so profound, right? You are, you probably were set there to fail, but guess what? You believe in yourself. You were naive enough, had no clue what they were doing it and you flourish. And you learn from that. And I think it's about the attitude of how we face that new experience that we're going to have, right? Regardless of what everybody else has, you know, because what they're, what they're thinking is their problem. How you face that in your attitude, that's what's going to make the difference. And now, how did you transition from you know, that position to what you say, being an entrepreneur and taking these experiences and use it on your business. Yes. Well, really, it was, I mean, a couple of funny things happened. So thank you. Thank you for mentioning that, Rosa. You're right. Just that that belief and thinking things would work out. And they certainly did. And even better than I expected, 
I really, I met my husband a blind date 19 years ago. And once we fell in love, I just thought he would move with me where my next position was. And he said, I really don't want to live in Michigan. And you may know this and, and perhaps you don't. I really had it in my mind that some, for some reason, I thought when I turned 40, I would leave and start my own business. And and I hope your listeners hear that as do not let a number or a date get in the way of, of doing something now, because to, to Michael's credit, he said, Deb, if you do it now, it's going to be great. And it was just this perception in, in my experience that I'd have to have more years under my belt before people would necessarily hire me for the consulting and coaching. And yet he was right and, and certainly was very supportive. So I took that wonderful experience of being all over the country and with a lot of different people and the scrappiness of being from Flint, Michigan. And then I'd gotten to do some training adjunctly with, a, with an organization and planned to start my business right away. And then humbly realized that I did not know exactly how to put things together. So I did work for a consulting firm for a year and I was up front with them and said, I plan to have my business. I worked with them for a year to learn about certainly like pricing and how to position. And it couldn't have come about together better really, because mm -hmm. I felt like I had enough of a newness to what I was doing. I developed things on my own and I had that business acumen and, and, and some historical credibility that, that allowed me to feel like I could take that step. Got awesome, awesome, awesome. And I know you have a couple of leadership positions in the Tampa Bay area. Um, how did that came about and why was that important for you to get involved? Well, when, when people ask about a, a position, uh, United Way, Suncoast, certainly they're doing outstanding work for so many people. And to ask to be on the CEO council, it, it, it's something that I'm learning about what United Way is doing, and I'm facilitating a few interactions about the donations and about companies working there. So getting involved is, I love it when people think about it as, you know, serving, it's serving our community. Mm -hmm. And so if I can serve and I can bring something to that group, like the American Heart Association, yes. I've been the chair of the Circle of Red for four years, which was not my plan. And yet I'm not complaining. And that idea of getting men and women involved, I, I was fortunate to be a chair when we started really expanding to think about men supporting women's heart health. Mm -hmm. And so chairing that, that group with, with a variety of other women who were overarching the chair for the Go Red for Women initiative meant keeping that front and center. So you you ask about different leadership roles and the reason to get involved. I believe for all of us, we make time for what's important. And if if we have the honor of being asked and we really feel we can contribute, then say yes. And if you feel like your your interest and your time is not where you're going to give it your all, then decline not because you don't want to be involved, but because you want to do it well. And so I tend to be involved with four organizations at a time so that I can, in fact, really be present there and, and make a difference and live up to what they've asked me to do. That's the right. reason. Right. I call that servant leader. 
And I think in the Tampa Bay area, we have many, many people. And that when you go into a facility location entity with that heart of helping without expecting anything in return, you actually get a lot more of that in return because it's more about the experience. But it, it's you go there with a pure heart with a, no agenda, just to be able to help that entity grow. And I call that, again, a silver, uh, a servant's uh, leader, a, mm -hmm. a servant heart leader. And I always tell people, especially in my book, if you become involved in a board room, per se, you have 10, 20 people, let's see, 10, 15 people that you meet every month with the same goal and purpose. So you build these relationships that are bonded for a common goal. And then out of this relationship, sometimes you get the best friends that you can count with in life, uh, best partners, best opportunity for open doors. And that is what makes that. And that's, um, that's prices like the Discover card, right? <laughs> prices, <laughs> because those connections are just amazing. What do you think of that, Debbie? You are spot on. And it's, it's, I like to say, because I think, you know, I speak a lot on kindness and, mm -hmm. and be the kind of leader worth following. And one of, one of the, the statements that I make, and you know, them as my Lundbergisms is, mm -hmm. you know, that when you, when you engage in a kind act to get someone to sign a contract, then that is not kindness. That's business. Mm -hmm. If you engage in a kind act to get attention and accolades, that's not really kindness. That's showmanship. Mm -hmm. And yet this servant heart. And when you engage with the, in kind acts, because you want it to be better for somebody else, whether they know you did it or not, and you're not looking for anything else, that is really kindness. And so mm -hmm. I agree with what you're saying. You may call it, and I agree, this, this servant's heart, and I happen to call it kindness. And mm -hmm. those kind acts, when we know it's pure, it brings this subtle and unrivaled joy for, for the person who's providing it because somebody else has done that for us somewhere along the way and we don't even realize it. So yeah. when we have this servant's heart or kindness, then we are forwarding our community in a way that there's not a price tag on it. You're right. Right, right. Well, and I will not do, and I will do a disservice to my listeners if I did not ask you about the biggest thing that you accomplished, I believe in 2021, or oh, the biggest act of kindness, I will call it. So tell me a little bit about becoming a kidney donor. How oh, did that yes. start it and why? Sure, absolutely. Well, please know that it was never on my plan to become a living kidney donor. Ever since I started driving, I had been a on my, an organ donor on my license, which I encourage everybody to certainly consider. Uh, the short version of, of the kidney donation is I happened to see that somebody was in need in our community and it, it was not somebody who I knew well. I knew she'd done good things in the community and we'd said hello, but never had a conversation, Rosie, never sat down and, and uh, didn't do business together or anything like that. And yet I have a philosophy that I hope others will embrace is don't say, oh, let me know what you what I can do instead, 
figure out what you can do and then do it, right? Be mm -hmm. a person of action. So I reached out to her and asked to meet and I, just, I wanted to learn more about it. And Rosie, I really thought it would be my encouraging or some complimentary coaching through it or connecting her to someone else. And I, I wanted to take action. So I checked on my blood type and was tested and mm -hmm. told my husband, I said, I know it sounds crazy. I feel like I will be the match. And he said, well, you've said crazier things. They're usually true when you say that. So uh, for, during the pandemic, I went through the process over six months of the testing and on August 6th, uh, entered into Tampa General Hospital, one of the best transplant hospitals in the country, and was dropped off because Michael couldn't go to anything, any of the, the appointments. He never met my surgeon beforehand. And I went in at 530 in the morning with two kidneys and I left the very next day with one and I told the recipient, you know, this is never going to be my kidney. Apparently, I just housed it for you for, for many decades. And, and I was happy to be able to do it. And I, I really feel like it, it was this act of when you ask why, I feel more like it was there was nothing telling me not to. And it right. felt like that service that I could provide. And, and I couldn't be more proud to say that, um, my husband then is the cutest copycat I'll ever know because oh six months later, he chose to donate his kidney as well after experiencing what had happened throughout the, the donation process. So we're two living kidney donors in our household. We only each have one and, and we're okay with that. Okay. And does your life change? Is there different things that happens or can your life expectancy be the same? Um, even donating uh, one of your kidneys? Well, yes, you 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 have a few changes. And I will say there are things like not taking Advil or, or drug like that because of the anti-inflammation, but you can take Tylenol and you may process a little bit less protein. And and there's a there's a bit of data that says some altruistic donors who are in terrific health could have had, I mean, will we ever really know, could have had this longer lifespan and they'll have an average lifespan. But that's that to me is, there. there's not a lot of evidence to mm -hmm. that. It's more, you live your life and you're not restricted. I mean, I would love to tell you there's no restrictions, but I, I also want to serve the, 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 the history and the the information that the National Kidney Foundation and Institutes have that there are some slight changes to our lives, but you know what, getting to allow someone else who does, you know, can live their life in exchange mm -hmm. for maybe an eight inch scar on your abdomen and a, a bit of a recovery and some slight tweaks is that seems like nothing compared to how their family now can, can enjoy them. So so there's a little bit of change, but not a lot. Okay. Well, then thank you so much, Debbie, for such an amazing story. And it is just so, so uh, inspiring to me and uh, that you did this kind thing to a person that you pretty much did not know very well, but you met through networking and now you kidney cousins is what you call it, right? Kidney yes. Cousins. Yes. Good memory. And, we did. And it's such an inspiring thing. Well, 
any information that you guys need to reach out to Debbie is on the descriptions of the show. I want to go ahead and thank you so much, Debbie, for uh, being with us today. And as, to, as I wrapped up the show, let me share another quote. Highly engaged people are instinctive ambassadors and a trusted source, and they are willing to go above and beyond what's required, not because you told them to, but because they want to. And that's from Susan Lloyd Hurwitz. When you have a servant heart and you are a leader, people will follow you because you inspire them to be the best version of themselves. And at the same time, you change your environment. But it starts with you giving the best of you without expecting anything in return. To have the pure motives to make a difference. That will be the, the common ground that you will have together. But start by serving others. And those will serve you too. So my friends, as we wrap up the second week of February, enjoy your Valentine's Day. Stay pure, stay positive, and stay inspired. This is Rosie Paulson. Ciao. You just enjoyed another episode of Cafecito with Rosie on air. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and visit www.rosiepaulson.com to learn more about Rosie Paulson Enterprises. Stay pure, stay positive, stay inspired.